Hey everybody, I am very excited to bring you this bonus episode of The Third Cup of Coffee. I spent some time today with Steve Shogren, longtime friend and mentor, talking about church planting, outreach, uh, doing ministry in a porn shop, um, and nearly dying. So with that, enjoy. I want to welcome uh, this morning my dear friend Steve Shogren, uh, church planter, pastor, author, thinker, wild man, etc. Steve, it's good to be with you today. Hey, Randy, good to be with you. Really, really fun stuff to be with you, hanging out and talking a little bit. You know, I was thinking, uh, you and I go back to 1997. We are technically old friends. I prefer the phrase legacy friends. Uh, yeah. You know, people you've just kept with you while you've discarded other people. Uh, but <laughs> We met in the basement of the Cincy Vineyard on Crescentville, yeah. way back. Uh, you were doing seven or eight services, and I was just uh, in awe of how different the Cincinnati Vineyard was from anything I had ever seen. And we're going to talk a little bit about how, um, how that all came to be. But first of all, you're, back, you're living in Los Angeles now. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and you've been back there how long? Been there for six years. Okay. My wife, is a, Janie, is a pastor at a church here in eastern edge of LA called Claremont um, but yeah now you've spent time in LA before when you were younger you were in Los Angeles what were you doing yes there? I had uh, just really had a personal conversion and uh, having lived uh, in Europe actually for a year came to the Lord there and uh, had this desire to come to a Los Angeles area to be a part of the Jesus movement which at the time was big time happening mm-hmm. and uh, came out here just really to go to Calvary Chapel in Orange County and wow. went to a Bible school in LA a proper called uh, California Lutheran Bible Institute and uh, was there for a couple of years and uh, had a great time. And so LA is really big time in our hearts. We really feel like a connection here. Janie's from here originally, by the way. So, And you, um, you kind of plugged in with Ken Gullickson at some point? Well, uh, early on, um, I had, when I first, uh, again, was a believer, I was like 19 years old, which uh, was about two years ago, I think, three, three years ago. <laughs> uh, but we, somebody invited me to this thing. They said, you got to go to the, uh, this little uh, Bible study thing you have going on, uh, went and turned out to be the vineyard. And uh, Ken was there, of course, Ken, who was, actually goes back to, speaking of Calvary Chapel, was the first uh, pastor that Chuck Smith hired early on in the Jesus movement. And so he, he was still a part of that whole movement, but then started something called, he called it Vineyard, a little different. And so came back eventually and became uh, church planting interns with Ken for a couple of years. A uh, little, did a little bit of everything and uh, got my, our feet wet in ministry and then began to plant churches. There's a picture you sent me earlier today of some of the folks that were involved in that uh, ministry school. And yeah. off to the side is Bob Dylan. Yes. You know, I looked at that, and when was that picture taken? Like, how long ago would that have been? Yeah, I uh, found out it was actually 79, (laughs) the spring of 79, and Dylan was, we had a one-year Bible school, and about uh, 15 or 20 students, and Dylan woke up on the first day of it, he'd heard about it, and he said God spoke to him, and said, join and become a part of the Bible school, take off a year, dedicated to that, and he did. Wow. Pretty cool. You know what I thought was funny about that picture? is he looks exactly like he does now, yeah. which, but, but it's not like he looks particularly young now. It's like he looked old then. It's just, right. he prematurely aged. It was, it's funny to look at it. I'll, I'll post it at some point. It made me laugh. 
So between LA and Cincinnati, you made a couple of stops. Um, yes. You went to, to Norway, correct? Went to Norway, planted uh, as a parachute drop, as they call it, no connections, just came in, little parachutes all over the place for our family and uh, met people at random and started a Bible study. Uh, went from there after a year, uh, and that was pioneered, became a, uh, a very healthy church in the end, very, uh, for Norway standards, uh, fairly large, several hundred people. Wow. And then uh, went to Baltimore and helped one of the other interns who was with me. And uh, we were there for a number of months, helped him get off the ground. And, uh, and I've then, been to that church. Uh, yeah, like you, back in 2005, we were in D.C. and we uh, visited a vineyard and I texted you about it. Hey, we're at this vineyard in Baltimore. And you replied right away, yeah, we helped plant that church. It just made me laugh because I had no idea that, that you'd ever been in Baltimore. So how did you yeah. get to Cincinnati? We uh, just heard about this friend who had a Bible study going on again, uh, had five people. Uh, he told me they had 50, and he had actually met 50, but only five were really committed. And so uh, came out, uh, checked out what was going on. Didn't feel an immediate, amazing, uh, warm heart for Cincinnati. But you didn't see like, like a chili dog in the sky or something that said, come here now? Yeah, it wasn't speaking to us through the hot dog. But we um, really, we, we came and felt the connection. And uh, so moved out here. Uh, Janie was looking online to see how often it rains in Cincinnati. I, I said, that's a mistake. Don't look at the negative. <laughs> well, it turns out that it rains about every day in the winter. <laughs> and it, the sun comes out again in March, I think. But right. it, it was a little dark and a little bit difficult to get, get used to having been in California before that. Um, but it was great. We felt a, a real connection. That was our calling. You know? Now, that church eventually grew to about 6,000 people on weekends. Uh, yeah. didn't start that way. Uh, started out kind of a little rough and ugly. What were those early days like? Were you the senior leader from the beginning? Yes. Yeah, we had five people in the living room. And uh, with Janie and I, that made seven, I guess. And uh, really took a long time, Randy, to get momentum going on. It was extremely slow. I felt like it was a complete uh, failure for several years. And remember driving around town over and over again. You've heard of prayer walking. Yeah. I, I came up with prayer driving. And I would just go around the circle of the city. There's a circle freeway, 275. And I prayed and said, God, is there anybody here? These Ninevites, are there, is there anybody here who wants to avoid getting, you know, whatever? And uh, uh, it, it slowly took off. It, it took uh, right about the two-year mark, a little less than that. We start our Sunday mornings. We had 37 after two years and talking to no kidding, Randy. Uh, I, I tallied it up as easily over a thousand people I talked to one on one. Thirty-seven out of a thousand. Yeah, right. And uh, you do the the math on it, and that's a tremendous rejection rate. <laughs> that's uh, gee Willikers. But I heard over and over again: Is this a cult? You know, you you, you talk. It sounds so positive and so winsome. It must be a cult. And I said, well. You know, if we were a cult, we wouldn't probably tell you because that's the nature of cults is to not, right. you know, so, yeah. <laughs> you'll, have to, you'll have to figure out at a second level meeting. Yeah, right. Exactly. So. And so two years go by, you launch, uh, and like, what are your facilities like? What are you meeting in? We met in a square dancing barn, and uh, it, it really had had about a 15 foot tall, maybe not 15, 10, 12 feet tall uh, doors that opened up. Uh, in the square dancing barn, and it was almost like uh, being outdoors, or or the early days of uh, 
Crystal Cathedral where you could actually open the doors and see the people right there. But we, we had a lot of fun with it. We, we had a lot of the guy who ran the whole thing said, well, you can't walk on there with any kind of certain shoes. So we had to have somebody at the door to kind of uh, look at people's shoes and say, well, you, you can come in and sit down. Clean, unclean, unclean, clean, unclean. Oh, oh it was, that's that's pretty uh, user friendly, right there. Yeah, you're, well, and then in the winter, we were only there for nine months. But in the winter, it was so poorly insulated, you could actually feel the wind blowing through, and uh, didn't dare light a candle or anything; it would have been blown out right away. Probably. You know, I don't know if you know this. Kelsey attended at the Square Dance Barn. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, huh. Kelsey was there back in the square dance days. I mean, she was, you know, she was a square dancer, and uh, <laughs> there was a church. It was Destiny, I think. But yeah, she remembers. She attended. When we came back in the late 90s, uh, her first words to me was, I think I've been here before, but it was in a square dance barn. And so she was there. <laughs> wow. Same spirit, hopefully. Yeah. Same, very same, same. So uh, I guess why I'm asking kind of about, about the rough beginnings and the slow start is um, something that has weighed on me in the past four or five years is the sense that in order to plant, you have to go big or go home. Like you have yeah. to make a splash. You have to come in with a team of uh, hired professionals. You need trucks, trailers. It's almost like uh, the Rolling Stones are coming to town and uh, we're showing our age. Um, they don't even, they're still alive, but you know, it's, it's gotta be a production and it's gotta be a big production. And it's gotta be big from the beginning to be viable. Uh, yeah. Do you think that's true or is it just kind of happened to been that way the last few years? Well, I, 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 uh, actually you, you, you know, a little bit about my story, but we actually went to Florida and planted, uh, with mostly that mindset. And, uh, I raised money like crazy and had, you know, had not a gigantic, uh, chest fund of money, but we had uh, enough to, to get going and so forth. And, I figured out, Randy, that it was not my style at all to do it yeah. that way, that I, I flourish really with the, the less, the better. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um, you know, one of my models early on was suggested by Peter Wagner, who taught at Fuller, and he goes, the ideal church planter, uh, and he was talking in Vineyard World, which is what I was a part of at the time, is uh, probably a former door-to-door um, -door salesman, and secondly, a guy who grew up on the farm, because uh, he can fix things on the cheap. He can use a pair of pliers, duct tape, wire, yeah. fix things, at least temporarily. And the other mindset is coming in and we've got the whole thing and we're going to open a box here and it'll pop open and we'll have a church. And, and, and I, I guess that's fine for some people, but it's really uh, excludes a lot of people that are gifted, that are called, uh, but don't really have that kind of a, a wiring. And so that's not me at all. The, the thing in Florida did not work well at all. Uh, it eventually became a church, but it, there was a couple of crashes along the way of just realizing, you know, that we got to be who we are. Um, yeah. Yeah. We don't put on Saul's armor, if you will. And, and uh, I, you know, I've got friends who've planted that way and I actually love their churches. I love what they're doing, but yeah. I look at it and go, I don't think I could do that. And part of that is, um, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm 52 and uh, I'm not, you know, I, I just, I'm fairly independent thinking. And so I have a tendency to question, uh, you know, the conventional way of doing everything. But on top of that, in a post COVID world, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't know what big gatherings look like too quickly, particularly a big gathering people aren't used to coming to, right. to get to come to go to a new thing that, you know, you, just, you don't have a level of trust among people. 
Um, I think it'll be very interesting in seeing what church planting looks like going forward. Yes. You know, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think the public meetings coming to an end. That's, that's not the end of that. But I think that maybe the, the, um, may not be as uh, long as we think. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, we're in a, a tremendous time of uh, change, obviously. Uh, a book that I've read literally probably 10 times now is called The Fourth Turning by a couple of sociologists. And they, li- they believe there's a cyclical view of history more than a linear view. And uh, they said in about now, they think there's going to be a, a, a big interruption. <laughs> they called it a, uh, uh, not a, a depression or a recession, but a de- um, uh, deconstruction thing going on and it happens every so often I, it's happening right now clearly in america and, and probably around the world pretty much uh re, re, everything you know what, so you start you've got 37 people in the square dance barn for nine months um and you went from the square dance barn to where we went from there to a school down the street that was a uh technical school they had a uh a cafeteria we could meet in or we could meet in what they called their uh their, their IDEA room. I'm not sure what that stood for, but it was little tiers. And so you might have 50 people on each I think tier. that's idea. I think it's just a word. I don't think it was an acronym. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but, but uh, we met there for uh, a year and a half, maybe a little longer, not quite two years. So at, at this point we've been going for almost three years and uh, moved from that little place to a, uh, actually to be completely clear, uh, we actually used, I, I figured out about 23 facilities, oh, wow. not just for Sunday morning, because we moved it, of course, several times, but uh, we would rent this, rent that, da, da, da. Maybe we could do a baptism at their, maybe they let us baptize people at their church, because we didn't have a baptism. And uh, so uh, went from there, uh, eventually over to buying an old Baptist church. And uh, it was the sort of looking thing, Randy, you've been there many times, looks like Noah's Ark on the top of it. Yeah. And, uh, was designed to hold about 500 people. Our first Sunday had about 300. It went to two services the first Sunday. They were going like this. We only had one service. We packed them out. Well, our, our mentality is we don't have to have grandchildren and uh, grandparents all in the same room at the same time. So we'll, we'll separate them out a little bit. And that worked well for us. We very quickly had 500. Then we had 1,000 less than a year. And it was very dramatic, very cool. Now, culturally, did... Uh, two questions on culture. First, go back to the city. Um, mm-hmm. Cincinnati is a unique place. Yeah. I know that every city says they're unique, and that's probably true. But yeah. what, are, what are some of the cultural quirks of Cincinnati, would you say, that you had well, to adjust to? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's all sorts. There's a, uh, um, gee whiz, there's all sorts of little language things that are hilarious. Uh, for example, when you say the word please in Cincinnati, that means repeat. And uh, I, I did not get that. I went to my first uh, uh, McDonald's, ordered a, a Sunday. Would you like penis with that? And I said, please. Would you like penis with that? I said, yes, please. Would you like penis with that? And, you know, there's a uh, kind of a uh, got to be proper, need to be uh, uh, in a good way, uh, considerate, et cetera. But at the same time, it's kind of a place where uh, not a whole lot changes very quickly. Um, good old... Um, uh, Mark Twain used to play a lot of uh, poker on the river there, the Ohio River and the riverboats. And he was in Cincinnati many times. And he said that at the end of time, he hoped to be in Cincinnati. 
because everything happens about 10 years later in Cincinnati. <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of, you look at the yearbooks and when all the guys started getting longer hair <laughs> and the yearbooks of Cincinnati, they all had short hair until it was well into the longer hair era, you know? So well, one of my, one of my head is full of one liners that I've heard from you over the years. And the one is that, uh, your life changed in Cincinnati when you discovered the Land's End catalog. Yes, yes. That, that, was, that was the uniform of Cincinnati. And if you wore that, you, you might have fit in. Right. And, uh, well, you know, Cincinnati's a place where people mow their lawns with their old slacks. They don't change. <laughs> they're out there with their old slacks wearing the, you know, the ones that, have, that are worn out. You know, they're penny loafers they wore a year ago, you know. Right. Um, but it, it's... So, uh, it, so it was the jump culturally, but uh, if I remember right, the, the church itself kind of shifted culturally a little bit, like on, on the spectrum of um, uh, the charismatic spectrum yes. or, or, or freedom of expression with, uh, I don't know who you'd put on one side as the, you know, the extreme of that and John MacArthur on the other. Where, yeah. like, where were you guys on all that? Well, we, um, my, my friend Lonnie Frisbee, I, we weren't close friends, but we were friends. Some of you guys know his name. He said, he had a little way of saying it, uh, on the one end, you tend to be word, 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 and you can dry up very easily. Over at the other end of the spectrum, you can have spirit, 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 and then you blow up. But between uh, not drying up and not blowing up, in the middle, you grow up. And uh, we, we sought to be that uh, uh, evangelicals. Those are filled with the spirit at the same time. And um, we, we actually had another way of explaining it, Randy. We said that... Um, uh, the, the way to do things well, typically, is to go low versus high. And uh, I think in any movement, uh, the Vineyard, uh, Assemblies of God, Southern Baptists, that there's a model of uh, being super focused in on that or going a little bit lower and figured out really, Randy, that nobody's looking for the high, pretty much. I mean, if they are, they're very much into a style, and, and that's not outwardly focused. We're not really interested in that. We, we want to be kind of low-key, low version of whatever is going on in the movement. And it worked very well. We adjusted it to our style. We figured out that uh, instead of an hour and a half service, uh, about an hour is long enough, typically. And uh, you don't need to worship for 45 minutes. You can sing songs or worship songs for 20, 25 minutes. That's enough. And yeah. um, so there, we... There was just such a unique um, um, vibe, even to the stage presence. Uh, which is real. And, and you say stage presence and people, you know, put up their, their guard as if, oh, does that seem, everyone has one. You, yeah. you can have a bad one or you can have a good one. But the stage presence uh, at the Cincinnati Vineyard, particularly in those days, um, was almost a self-deprecating, uh, we can make fun of ourselves, which I absolutely resonated with. I, I loved seeing people up front who weren't afraid to laugh at themselves. Yes. On our, on our 10th anniversary, we had some fun with it. We had uh, leaders in the locally. They gave me a, a key to the men's restroom for the Cincinnati. Instead of a key to the city, it was about this big. And one of the city councilmen got on, Phil Heimlich, who's yeah. you know, well-known. His dad is Dr. Heimlich. He, he comes on and says, Steve, we know you love Clinton Twist to show God's love. Here's, here's one for you. We had the, uh, uh, all sorts of people coming in. We had a little fake movement, mouths moving as they came in, you know, you know, God bless you guys. Ten years is amazing. Da, da, da. It was and, and a, way, uh, it was a fun environment. Sunday, had, our first Sunday had 37. 
10 years later had about 3,700. And uh, I mean, it was amazing mathematics on it, how it worked out. Uh, of the 3,700, how many were a part of the original 37? Uh, we lost a few along the way. We probably <laughs> had about uh, maybe eight out of that. Uh, I, I call it a, uh, a uh, when you build a building, you have outside of it the structure that holds it up. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're, as you're building, 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 and as you uh, have the building more completed, that structure falls off including people, of course, and uh, some leave. In our case, it was really pretty cool because I had a, we had a vision for church planting and we said, why don't you guys leave and don't be mad, but go plant a church. So in the end, we ended up with about a dozen churches that we'd started in the area. And that's a lot of people leaving. It's <laughs> yeah, a lot of people leaving. Now, I want to talk a little bit about outreach, but before I do, um, as the church grew, uh, at, at that time in Cincinnati, that was really unheard of. Yeah. Like there were not, now there's, you know, there's crossroads and there's, there's other huge churches, but the, the Cincy Vineyard really kind of paved the way for that. Anything over about uh, five or 600 people was treated with suspect. Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember at one point you talking about how, as the church grew, you decidedly tried to take a little bit of a, a lower profile publicly, um, particularly like with what you drove. Yeah. And yeah, because I, you didn't, didn't want to be typecast. No, I tried to uh, get a little simpler. And <laughs> I went from buying newer cars to used, used. I ended up driving a truck for a number of years until it blew up. Uh, the engine eventually wore out. But uh, uh, instead of parking by the reserve parking by the front door for the senior pastor, I parked at the edge of the parking lot and walked in. Uh, and that was after my accident that I'd had a, without getting into that very much, uh, horrible medical accident. And I, I, my walking has been affected by it tremendously since then. And so, you know, hobbling across the parking lot with a cane and so forth. And I, I think that's the mentality you've got to have as a senior leader is that uh, I'm not here to be uh, uh, held up and, uh, and, and the sense looked up to, I guess, but the, uh, it's not a, a, a triangle like this, but it's really kind of a, not like this either, but more of a, like this going out, it's an arrow. And the senior leader becomes more of a, uh, a lead goose versus uh, somebody's off to the side giving advice. But he or she's actively leading, doing what we believe is really part of the gospel, which is outward, 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 you know. And, and that you've modeled for all of us incredibly well. Uh, at, at some point, you discovered um, what you began to call kindness outreach. But tell yeah. us a little bit about the, you know, the genesis of that. What did that start as? Well, we started out, you know, we, we figured out pretty quickly is that nobody's looking for a church in Cincinnati. In fact, they, they have- They a, don't want the church they have. They certainly aren't looking for something different. Yeah. Well, if you ask people, it's kind of politically correct to, to say you go to church, even though they rarely go to church. I was talking to one guy and he goes, I, yeah, I go to pastor, or he was a Catholic. I go to father, somebody's parish and how's he doing? Oh, I love that guy. Well, I turn out later, I find out the next week the guy died like eight years ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, we go to church. Uh, but uh, one of the first things we did, we said, let's just go ahead and serve people. We don't have a facility. This is early, early on, Randy. We were still at the barn. We said, let's go ahead and do some things just to kind of define ourselves by what we do more than what we say or by saying to people, read this to understand us. And so we did a, a free car wash had people out holding signs, free car wash. And another one said, no kidding. Another one said, no donations accepted. 
and uh, out there flagging people in, ended up washing with about a dozen of our people, probably, uh, I don't know, 30 cars. It, it was a lot of work, but it was fantastically fun over a couple of hours. We sat in a circle, we stood in a circle and prayed for the people that come in. And uh, several began to tear up. Uh, one guy said, God, thank you that I had the chance to talk to, he called them non-Christians. I have a different word I use. But uh, I got to more, talk more non-Christians today than I have in years. And he was just got a little tear coming down. And I thought, this is so good. We've got to be out there among the people. And um, we had been reading the Gospels over and over and over again, trying to find out, what did Jesus do? Let's do what he did and see what happens. With, you know, the worst could be is that the whole thing fails. And if you've only got 37 people, it's not that big of a failure. <laughs> you can start over pretty easy, yeah. <laughs> and so... And one of the things Jesus did was he was with the people all the time, with the people, with the people, with the people. Um, one of my favorite Jesus movies is uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, you, many have seen it probably. And one of the scenes that I, I think is most moving is he's asleep literally on the side of the road, almost like a sidewalk in the movie. And somebody wakes him up and says, Jesus, the people want to see you. And he wakes his, his eyes. He has a little bit sleepy in his eyes. He's doing one of these things and he comes back to work. And, uh, among the people, with the people, with the people. Yeah. You, know, that's you, huge. you were able to foster that even when the church was quite large. Yes. Um, that, that ethos of uh, let's go do something. Yeah. As opposed to let's just sit and listen or let's just sit and read. My first time visiting the vineyard, which would have been 97 probably, um, mm -hmm. we went Sunday morning. And it was so refreshing and so different. I told my wife, I want to go back to the Sunday evening service. She said, I think it's the same thing. I said, I don't care. I haven't seen anything like it in my entire life. Let me see it twice in one day. And so we go back and we're standing in the foyer. And of course, uh, those that remember the Crescentville building, the foyer was, was farcical. It was just a tiny little place. And yeah. um, Greg Eads, who I don't know if he's on staff at that point or not, but approached me. I'm standing there clueless. You can tell I'm the new guy. And he comes to me and said, hey, will you come with us and deliver groceries to a family? Oh. And at first I thought he thought it was somebody else. And I explained, I'm, I'm just visiting. I've never been here in my life. And he looked at me and goes, I, I don't care. Do you want to come or not? And uh, we ended up not coming, but I just remember, you know, in, in our conventional ministry setting, we wouldn't have asked somebody to come along with us unless we don't have a background check and put them through six months of training. And there was just this sense of, no, let's just go do it and see what happened. It was so, so yep. refreshing. But they, that happened because they saw senior leaders doing it. Well, we had, we had a stack of uh, shelves and probably on average 10 to 20 bags of groceries there. People would call in, I need diapers plus groceries, whatever the case was. We had diaper boxes stacked up. And we had stapled each one of those a, a map and a phone number would go with it. And uh, one of the main things, Randy, we wanted to do is for parents to take their kids out after church, uh, go ahead and drive through McDonald's or Taco Bell, and then on the way home, uh, stop and, and go ahead and drop off a, some groceries and, and pray for them together as a family. Mm -hmm. And uh, it worked really, really well, Randy. And uh, it instilled in our people a heart for those in need and uh, began to get courage that they could do this regular stuff, you know? Yeah. And, and eventually you guys purchased a bus. Yes. Talk about the groovy outreach bus and how that was used. Yeah, we had some fun with it. We actually, it was the, uh, the 20th anniversary that whatever it was of the summer of love. 
so we fixed it up and had plush carpeting in it and uh, all sorts of fun stuff. And we had another bus actually that was, we would drive these two together. One was kind of a, uh, just to get an environment of uh, welcoming and we had coffee and all sorts of stuff in the bus. You could come in the back and, and uh, through the, the emergency door, we, we bought another bus, which was strictly dedicated to clothing and food. And uh, that bus had, no kidding, Randy, it was on its fourth engine. It had, the, the chassis had driven over a million miles. And if you do the math, that's to the moon twice and back. And so that's a, a long bus ride. Uh, and so we, we bought it for $1,200, a hundred bucks a month we paid because we had no money. The, the guy who ran the bus, uh, company said, you don't have $1,200? We said, uh, no. And he can't, so He's like, you can't afford we, to own this bus if you don't have $1,200 in your pocket at all times. Yeah, right. It's going to break down probably and blah, blah, blah. Uh, the guy who ran the, the garage, uh, who owned all these buses, he, he came to the Lord in the end uh, and then tragically died right after that. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, had so much fun with that bus. It, it, it did break down every once in a while, but it became kind of a prayer thing. We'd get on and go, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, let it drive today without being picked up on the freeway. And, uh, we bought a, a third bus and I'm driving back from having purchased it from this guy again. And this time we paid cash <laughs> and, uh, the brakes aren't working correctly. And I, it was still stopping, but it wasn't really ready to pass the inspection before we had it fixed. And I, I was again, praying God, you know, we'll get it fixed tomorrow, but let us pass this inspection because it took two weeks to get into the deal. Anyway, it did. And, we fixed it, but you know, that kind of a thing where you, uh, sometimes using the, the pliers and the duct tape and the wiring, you have to have that mentality or you're going to be frustrated constantly as a church planner. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, the, the giving and the, the, um, the open handedness with everything that God gave you, uh, eventually led you to do something really unique with that building on Crescentville. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, something that people didn't expect. Talk about that a little bit. We, uh, when we were get, we built a, we were almost finished with the new building we had about a mile away. Um, it was a much bigger building. The one we had on Crescentville, you keep referring to, was about, uh, I think, about 20,000 square feet, which may sound gigantic to some. And it was, it was larger than many people's facilities, but it wasn't large, large. And for the number of people we were processing through, that was very small facility. It was in a neighborhood. I mean, the parking was awful. Yeah, we had to park down the street. We became friends with all the neighbors and would go over and get them things all the time. Sorry, you know, for sun Saturday nights and all day Sunday through the whole day. And uh, but in the end, I was in uh, in Asia actually doing a ministry trip thing, and I'm walking along, and we've been trying to sell the building for some months and didn't get any nibbles even. And uh, it, it was probably worth uh, about 1.5 million dollars at the time. And, uh, but we just couldn't find anybody it would be interested. Get, uh, a lot of factors involved, but anyway, in the end, I am walking along. I said, I felt like the Lord said, just give it away. <laughs> and we said, but we don't even own it outright yet. And he says, well, pay it off and give it away. Mm -hmm. So we raised money. We, we shared the vision. I, I want to make sure other people are on board with me with our leadership because I didn't want to you know, give away $1.5 million without some, some right. uh, agreement on the whole thing. But in the end, uh, ended up uh, coming just short of paying the whole thing off, uh, uh, just a you know, relatively couple of percentages off from that, uh, gave the church away to an African-American congregation. Hmm. And uh, it, it was tremendous, Randy. You know, the, I saw people telling me years later, I don't know how many years it's been, but uh, 
you know, so that was the, the apex of my Christian experience up till yeah. then anyway, of just giving, 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 giving. We, we raised money over about a six week period. We had people giving sacrificially. It was, it was incredibly powerful. I would tell some of the stories, but I would start probably get weepy if I did. Uh, one lady who had had a, uh, a Barbie collection since she was a little kid, she had literally every single Barbie, which is, I had no idea. I'm sure you know about these things, Ken and Barbie, right, Randy? Okay. But anyway, I'm familiar had, with them, yes. She had literally like 50 in boxes. It was a very complete uh, set. She sold it for quite a bit of money and, and dedicated it to the building thing. It was, it was very Amazing. cool. And you became close friends with the pastor. Yes. And uh, we've been good friends ever since. Uh, he, he calls me his twin. We, <laughs> he's uh, kind of a dark-complected guy, so we don't look anything alike. I'm Scandinavian. <laughs> but we've had... He's from... He is literally from Africa, isn't he? Yes. He's from Ghana. Yes. Yeah. And a little bit difficult to understand at times because uh, he has an accent, but a, a tremendous, tremendous thing going on there with those guys. Yeah. His, Osborne, what was his last name? Was Richard. Osborne, Osborne Richards. Richards. I have, uh, there's in books, a, a book, and I don't remember exactly what the book is now, but on the inside, I don't know where I got it, how I got it. I know where I got it, but I don't know. Inside the leaf, it says, um, to my dear friend, Steve Shogren from Osborne Richards. Mm. And uh, so apparently I stole it from you, but it's always been really dear to me because of that story. Um, yeah. And if you really want it back, you can ask for it publicly here. <laughs> but uh, so just jumping ahead a little bit, uh, church is growing. Um, and, uh, another one of my, uh, my all time favorite Steve Shogun short quotes. There's, there's a couple, as I was preparing for this today, uh, there are a couple of things you've said over time that, that have stuck in my head. I remember one time you told me when Janie goes out of town, I'm going to give away her car. And, uh, which struck <laughs> me as very funny because you had a tendency to give away things. Um, and you just timing is everything, but another time, and you've told me this a number of times, uh, you've told me there's no such thing as minor surgery. Right. Um, and, uh, and actually, uh, I'm wearing, I'm wearing a watch. I don't know if you recognize oh. this or not. Uh, we were having dinner about 10 years ago and you were wearing this watch. And I said, uh, that's a great watch. And you took it off and handed it to me and, and gave it to me. I, I still got it. The reason I tell a story is, um, about seven years ago, I was having a minor procedure on, on my throat and, uh, they were about ready to put me under and the woman who was, administering anesthesia commented on the watch and so I, I said oh thank you my, my friend Steve gave it to me and the last thing that I think of as they put the mask on put me under is there's no such thing as minor surgery um, <laughs> that was Steve's watch maybe it was yeah. the watch uh, let's talk a little bit about that episode in your life what happened yeah I, I was having some pain on my midsection uh, when I my family doctor said, I, I don't know what's going on, but I feel it's happened a couple of times, really sharp pain here. And, oh, sounds like a gallbladder problem. And so let me send you to this surgeon. You know, when they, they default to surgery right away, you're kind of going, I, I don't know about that. But went over and saw this highly recommended surgeon. Uh, and uh, he said, yeah, it's probably a gallbladder. Let me put you through a string of tests. And it ended up in five tests, anything from a sonogram to x-rays to CAT scans. They, in the end, said, you know, we can't find your, we can't locate your, your uh, gallbladder, which is apparently the problem, but we know it's there because everybody has a gallbladder. It's just part of the human nature, human makeup. And 
so they, they anyway ended up doing the surgery. Uh, I was reluctant. Uh, the night before, it was Janie's birthday. We went out to see a play, actually, in Cincinnati. And uh, I had second thoughts. I called my doctor. She, I don't remember any of this, but he talked me back into doing the surgery. He's mm -hmm. apologized many, many times since. He was a friend of ours. But uh, what happened in the end is they, they did a laparoscopic procedure. They make small holes. and They go in and look on the internals of your, of course and uh, hit my aorta on one of those punctures. And my blood pressure plummeted down to 30 over 10. Uh, it stayed there for an hour and 15 minutes, which um, one of my friends, uh, a doctor friend said, that's the 30 over 10 is the blood pressure of a sponge, not a human. And uh, he said, uh, you know, I'm amazed you don't have major brain damage. And I call that drain bramage now because I still have a little, <laughs> a little bit of a, an issue here and there actually, but, uh, Ended up being uh, dying for a number of minutes. Um, that's a whole other adventure there in that one. But uh, uh, really, it's taken years uh, to get back to normal. And I'm still not quite normal. I still have some drain bramage, you know. But uh, other than that, I, it's been a real slow uh, recovery. Uh, again, if they, if they knock you out, it's no longer a simple little thing because a lot of things can go sideways. And uh, you want to pray before you do it. Listen yeah. to the Lord. What uh... – coming out of that season, what were some of the lessons you picked up? I mean, yeah, that's got to be, that was life altering. You were a, there are type A's and then there are, you were double A, you were triple A personality. <laughs> well, uh, some of the what changes, happened? Well, I had to, I, I realized, uh, I began to go to therapy for one thing because uh, I'm not against therapy. I've never been against it. But at the same time, I, I realized there's some tools that I lack if I'm going to be effective in what I'm doing right now, because there's a tremendous change. We had a staff of over a hundred people. I had to go back to numbers of those people and say, you know, I'm really sorry that I died and that I, I caused a uh, kind of a Keystone Cops thing to happen here. Because when I had, uh, when I was removed from the, the, uh, the equation, uh, others had to step in and do various things. And uh, there's many things people hate. Uh, change is at the top of the list. And when you enforce change on people, and it wasn't, you know, uh, chosen by me, it wasn't chosen by anybody. And I'm not necessarily blaming God on it, you know, but I, at the same time, uh, I had to go back and say, would you forgive me for going through that? And, and oh, to a person, they all said, what? And I said, you know, really, and, you know, in the end, uh, they would get a little bit emotional, say, I, I do forgive you, because there was a tremendous upending of things going on and had, had a uh, real, again, a slow recovery, but tried to make fun of it along the way, because if you take yourself too seriously again, you, you take what is probably, a, in some cases, a little bit negative and then burrowing down. I had a, uh, for example, I had a uh, colostomy bag that was on me for a, a, quite a while, actually, where I won't go into what that is. It's pretty gross. And uh, Google it, kids. I, Google it. I had some fun. We had a staff of over 100 people, like I said. Uh, we began to pass the, uh, and one, I, the first time I came back, I was sitting in the back row. I, it was in a wheelchair still, but I took a brand new bag and I had people sign it kind of like a cast you would have if you broke your arm and we passed it around and, and about a hundred people signed my, it was a brand, I like to say it was a brand new bag, not a used one. Good to know. Much. Yeah. And uh, we've had so much fun with that. It's, it's uh, you know, again, it's a small little thing. Uh, but at the same time, you're, you're kind of lowering yourself down to being real human. And, you know, when you get, a, a rapidly growing church like that, it's easy to think that you're, uh, 
you know, very, very, very unusual. And, and maybe you are, but you don't need to emphasize that. Emphasize the, the, the normalness that you're, that you're about. I remember the Sunday that you came back for the first time. Yeah. Uh, you, you produced a video. And of course, back, back in those days, it was all cut and splice. There was no, no computer video editing, probably. It was all, you know, done old school. And, but they had produced a video as if you had forgotten to come. And Dave Workman, the associate pastor, went to get you and helped you into your wheelchair. The two things I remember about the video, one is you are watching uh, It's a Wonderful Life <laughs> as he storms into your house on the video. And the line on the movie is, you're worth more dead than you are alive, George Bailey. And it was just this incredibly dark, humorous moment. But then he loads you into the wheelchair and in bringing you back to the vineyard on the video that they're showing you know, to everybody, um, he loses the wheelchair. And it goes racing down a hill and hits a curb. And of course, a dummy flies out of it and down an embankment. And uh, I remember Dave saying one time later that after the first service of showing that, uh, a woman came to him in the foyer and said, my son has been in a wheelchair his entire life. And we laughed so hard we cried. And it was, <laughs> he said, my heart stopped for a second there thinking we've done it now. But there was just a, a concerted effort of going, it's okay, even in dark times, to laugh yeah. at ourselves, yes. you know, just to laugh at ourselves. I remember uh, I was on staff at the vineyard for a short time after that and uh, talking about the rule. We can make a funny, we can make fun of anybody we want if they're on the platform. Yeah. And, and it just was uh, refreshing in those days and actually opened our hearts to be able to receive sometimes maybe harder things to hear from the Lord uh, yeah. because we were already open to receiving. Yes. Um, so well, when you... Was, when you set yourself up as being imperfect and being uh, flawed and yet having a heart, soul, strength, and mind love for Jesus, uh, it liberates people. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, between services, I would, uh, you know, any, any pastor can relate to this. After a service, there's some people that are, I, I call them uh, EGRs, extra grace required people. And, and really, all of us are EGRs to a degree, but some are so irritating, you know, it's difficult to get along. I would be pummeled by people. Could you pray for me? Could you pray for me between services? The same people very often. So I began to go out with other leaders between services, going out and serving people, and uh, specifically cleaning toilets at businesses. And I, I'd have a fresh story right after that, right <laughs> between services, and uh, get to share that. And, uh, and, and, you know, again, going into places, they're saying, so you're cleaning toilets to show God's love. Did you get up? like a, a, a ticket or you have a DUI, you need to work off is this, time. Is this community service? Yeah, exactly. And so um, have a fresh story each time. But, but again, so often it would be something, uh, you know, again, kind of menial. Uh, and it would be demeaning to a degree, really, to clean the toilet. And, and yet it was incredibly, incredibly, uh, not just fun, but uh, a scad of stories would come out of each, each encounter practically, you know. So just one more thing I want to dive into and, and uh, want to hear about in that light of serving, um, mm -hmm. talk a little bit about uh, the season with Larry Flint. Uh, <laughs> if, if people are, are not familiar with Cincinnati, Larry Flint was a pornographer who at one point was kind of run out of town. He came back to town with his brother, set up a, a porn shop. Wasn't it across from the courthouse or something? Yes. It was right downtown. Yeah. Yeah. It was a major, major poke in the eye to the city. Uh, yeah. And those that have fought against it, and there were there were uh, a fair amount of protests. And in light of all that, how did you approach that? Well, you know, it was actually 
so well known, the, the whole Larry Flint story, they, they had a movie about it, about him. It was a major movie. It, 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 I think one or two um, nominations for Academy Awards. They call it The People versus Larry Flint. And uh, don't recommend the movie. I watched it just to be up on it. But it's, you know, it, it was very much in the media. They came to town, started a new pornography store. They found a little uh, crack in the, uh, the, the legal code that they could actually have a pornography store as long as it was less than 50% pornography, which I go, what the heck? Anyway, th there was a lot of protesting going on. Uh, it was in the news. The number one story in the evening news was Larry Flint starting a new church and a new church. What am I saying? <laughs> Pornography store. Yeah, pretty much not the same at all, are they? And um, Janie and I went down the first weekend they were open with all the protesters going on, walked in, said, hey, we're here to clean your toilets to show you a little bit of God's love. And Jimmy Flint, who's Larry's brother, says, uh, well, uh, I guess. And so we go back and clean it. And they come back one at a time, all the employees and say, what are you doing again? So in those cases, we've had it happen before. We typically just slow it down. We go real slow on the, on the brush, you know. But we went to leave after talking to a lot of the employees and, and Jimmy himself. And we walk up to the front. Jimmy says, you know, we're so impressed with what you've done here to clean your toilets. We want to bless you, too. And I said, really? He goes, you, you can have anything in the store for free. Mm. <laughs> and I... I hesitated for a second, look at Janie, I go, nah, that's okay. <laughs> I really don't want to be walking out of here in front of the protesters carrying a bag. Yeah. Well, we, <laughs> a year later, I am on a flight uh, from the far, I was in actually New Zealand. On the way back, uh, I, I, I have not slept in 36 hours. My hair is, looks like the Back to the Future professor, you know. And uh, I, I'm not myself, really, but sitting in front of me is Jimmy Flint from uh, the Los Angeles to Cincinnati leg of the trip. Uh, I didn't want to bug him, but I knew it was him. He had a, a jack on said uh, Hustler Industries or something. I didn't know there was a whole industry there. But anyway, um, in the end, uh, bumped into each other. He says, oh, you're that toilet cleaning pastor. Mm -hmm. And I said, so yeah. And he goes, why were you doing that? I said, I think Jesus does stuff like that. I think he would be uh, doing practical things. He cleaned feet, we do toilets, you know, similar thing. And he goes, who are you people anyway? And I said, it, it just hit me at the moment. I said, you know, we're the ones that don't hate you. Hmm. We don't hate you, Jimmy. And uh, we're walking off the gangplank. He stops and you got people behind you getting off. And you shouldn't do that. There's kind of an unwritten rule. You don't stop getting off the plane. <laughs> and I complain he, about that regularly. Yeah, I'm the guy behind <laughs> you. Well, who are you people? We're the ones that don't hate you. And he says, I didn't think there were any like that. And as he says it, he gets tears. And uh, again, you can see why people are against the pornography thing. Of course, of course. But at the same time, do we hate Jimmy Flint? Do we hate Larry Flint? No, 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 no. We, we love them. We, we accept them. With, do we uh, give them the keys to the car if they come to the vineyard? No, we don't. But at the same time, we, we will love them and to change. You know, That's... out of acceptance comes the ability to believe. I love and that story. We are the kind that don't hate you. Yeah. Yeah, Steve, thank you so much for your generosity uh, with your time. But really, I mean, over the years to me, uh, you have been the most consistent, um, unqualified encourager that mm -hmm. I've had in my in my life. Uh -huh. uh, you uh, you start out with you're awesome and then find out what's going on. 
and you don't, uh, sometimes you find out, and go, oh, that's not so awesome. But you just have, have consistently encouraged me. I am more comfortable being myself uh, because I've been with you. And I don't, I don't know if there's a better gift to give anybody. And so I'm, I am super, super grateful for the role that Thank you have played in our lives. We love you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. It, we, we're encouraged by you. You know, getting around people who are like-minded is what allows you to do long-term ministry, I think. Um, yeah. You know, keep on doing good and don't give up because you shall reap a harvest in the end. Paul says it uh, more than once. Keep on keeping on, you know. Thanks so much for listening to this bonus episode of The Third Cup of Coffee. We're back here every Wednesday with a new episode talking about life, uh, church planting, culture. We look forward to having you with us again. Thanks.